how many of you are into art? Um, if you're into art, you kind of see things that sometimes other people miss, right? You see meaning that's not always right there on the surface of something. There's sometimes layers of meaning that you can get from underneath something. Uh, recently, I was kind of, you know, doom scrolling through Facebook one day and I was going through and I saw this piece of art that didn't really look like art to me at first. It was this weird sort of like crane thing and there was oil or some kind of dirty liquid on the ground and this arm would kind of like flip around and it would sweep the oil or dirty liquid to the center and it would do that again and again and again. And as it went around, all that sort of weird liquid or oil would be taken away from the edges back to the center. But as you can imagine, it kept seeping out every time around the areas where it was no longer swept. And so the robot arm had to come back and do it, and it never stopped. And the very first thing that as I kind of looked at it for a minute, I thought like, this is kind of like housework or chores, right? There's always a trash bag to take out. There's always a load of laundry. Like there's no end to the things that we have to do. I I saw a a pastor talking about why he doesn't dust. And he says he doesn't dust his house because the Bible says we were, we came from ashes and one day we'll return to ashes. So he doesn't know who that dust is. And he wants to respect them, right? That's, of course, bad reading of scripture, but you know, you know what I'm saying. Anyway, this kind of got me thinking about not only that, but then about the repetitiveness of trying to keep our lives together, right? Not just the chores, but just this kind of, this world is always about trying to bring things back together again. This world is all about like trying to make sure that what we love and what we care for continues to come back to us, but not out of selfishness, right? The more we try to hold on to things selfishly, we end up losing things. But the more that we try to gather things together for good things, for love, the more things seem to stay connected to us. And I think that this relates to something about the signs in the Gospel of John that we need to know and understand because you know sometimes we look at these signs they're miracles right they're they're these seven sort of miracles that Jesus does uh, within the gospel of John but they always point to something more than just the miracle itself and I, I think it's kind of like this divine artwork that Jesus does that he performs something but it has layers of meaning and it helps us understand hopefully him and God and this world a little bit better uh, there's always something. There's always something more to what he's doing. So today we're going to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter six, verses one through fourteen, and we're going to put the uh, scripture on the wall here behind us so that we can look at it. And you have to understand, Jesus has already done a couple of these sign miracles, right? Miracles that point beyond themselves. He's turned water into wine. He's healed uh, someone who could not walk. He's he's done all these amazing things al- already. And so here we are looking at the feeding of the 5,000 people in Israel. So hear these words. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. 
Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw the large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who already has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down, about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks... He distributed them to those who were seated, also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled 12 baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Fun fact about the feeding of the 5,000, it is the only miracle that appears in all four gospels. The only miracle that appears in all four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Now there are other stories that appear in all four, but this is the only miracle that actually does. The other thing that kind of is interesting about this is that we don't know this for sure, But often when people would count numbers uh, in the Bible, they would uh, omit the women and children. So if they said 5,000 people were there, they were really counting the men and the teenage boys. They weren't counting everyone else. So it's possible that it's more than 5,000 people, but we don't know that correctly. It could be right about 5,000 people. So let's look at the, the details in the passage. First is that they were in the Sea of Galilee. If you've ever been to Israel or if you've heard of the Sea of Galilee before, you may not realize this, um, but you may. And that is the Sea of Galilee is not a saltwater sea. It is a lake, a freshwater lake. The Jordan River comes down from Syria, from Mount Hermon, and it goes into this freshwater lake where they, they, they catch tilapia. If you've ever wondered where some of our tilapia comes from, sometimes it comes from Israel. Uh, So tilapia fish, they call it St. Peter's fish over there, uh, right there in that lake. And then the Jordan River continues after this lake and it flows down into the lowest place on earth that is exposed to air and that is the Dead Sea. So it goes from freshwater lake down to this salty, minerally uh, area called the Dead Sea where a lot of beauty products come from because the mineral content of the mud around there is actually pretty good for your skin. So that's kind of a little bit about what is going on. And the other thing is, is when it says mountain, don't think about big, huge mountains. Like we're not talking about the Andes. We're not talking uh, about even something like the Rocky Mountains here. This is a large hill. Sometimes there are even cliffs in this area overlooking this, uh, this lake, Lake uh, Gennesaret or the Sea of Galilee, Sea of Tiberias. Um, But you can see to the other side. Think of it as like one of the widest lakes that we might have here in Alabama. Something where you can clearly see to the other side, but it's a far off distance. That's about the size of this sea. 
So this is where Jesus and the disciples were. They're at this sea. There's this huge hillside filled with grass. And people are following Jesus because, because he is doing all these miracles, these healings. And they want to see more. They want to experience more. And this is kind of the setting for what happened there. Jesus is followed by this huge crowd of 5,000 or more, and they're hungry. They're far away from home, and nobody packed a picnic except for one little boy who brought five loaves and a couple of fish. And so Jesus sees that they are hungry, and he's about to provide for them. But then he kind of has this little banter with his disciples, because Jesus and the disciples is kind of like one of those people that knows everything Uh, And so he's always trying to like walk people into understanding. And so he's testing Philip and Andrew saying, you know, I know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to help you get there. And so he's asking the questions, you know, how are we going to feed all these people? Where's all the food going to come from? Jesus already kind of knows the answer, but he's leading people along to the answer. So anyway, that's kind of where things happen. And he gets the people to sit down in the grass on that mountainside, looking down on the lake. The very first thing that I want to point out here is that there is a gathering of people all together. And the people are gathered in a very uniform way. Nobody's given like VIP tickets to this. Everybody is sitting down in the same pasture. Everybody's sitting down on the same grass. The same area, right? It's just, it's very equal. It's very, it's very kind of modest for all of them to sit down together. But it begins with a gathering together of people. To gather close, to spread out whatever they want to do so that they can sit and hear what Jesus is about to say. So the very beginning here is a gathering of people. And you today have come either for the 50th time or the 100th time or the first time to a worship service called the gathering. So there's something kind of interesting about this worship service that we do connected to this miracle. The first thing that we do is we gather together and the pews are very equal, aren't they? Right? There's, there's no better seat than any other other than, you know, the, the closer you are, like my daughter Lena, maybe the more that I can see what you're up to and whether you're texting or not. Right? She's not. She's, she's listening right now. Um, so in a sense, we're all gathered together. There's, there's no VIP section. We're all in this together. The other thing to think about is that we often call Jesus as the gospel of John does the good shepherd, right? He's a shepherd and we're his people. Where are all the people sitting in the grass, in a pasture? Where do sheep feed in a pasture? In grass. Remember how I talked about sometimes these signs are like art that are perform performance arts. This is kind of one of the layers that could be there that the people there are like a sheep. And what does a good shepherd do but feed his sheep? So they're hungry, right? So after he gathers all the people together, the next thing he does is ask for some food. And what is what do Andrew and, and, and Philip say? Well, first of all, there's too many people, and we couldn't buy enough bread to feed all these people if we had six months wages. And none of them have six months wages on them. I mean, they're traveling around with Jesus. And so the first thing to understand is that, you know, they don't really think that they have the resources or the financial resources, the food or the finances to ever feed these people. It is impossible. 
the best thing to do would be to send these people home, okay? But, but, Jesus thinks this is the opportunity that he can continue this performance art. And John gives us a clue as to why he does this. At the very beginning of this passage, John lets us know, the gospel writer, that this is the season of Passover. This is the season of Passover. That's important. John does not throw out details that don't matter usually, okay? So what is Passover? What is Passover? Do you remember uh, maybe from the, the movies, Charlton Heston, the, the Prince of Egypt, or maybe you remember uh, from Bible readings or, or vacation Bible school as a kid that the people of Israel wound up as slaves in the country of Egypt, right? They were slaves. They were, they were imprisoned and they were forced to work. And it was Moses who helped liberate them uh, from Egypt, but he didn't do it on his own. God did all the work. Moses just got to be the sort of figurehead, the one leading the way, but God was the one doing everything. And at Passover, God did some things to help liberate the people from Egypt, and they were able to get away. So being at that point is really important, that God was the one who liberated them. But after they were liberated, what happened to them? They were out in the wilderness. They were out in the desert. They were out. Now, when we say desert, don't think about like uh, the Sahara, okay? The desert is just a desolate place. It's usually pretty dry, but there can be water. There can be some vegetation, but not very much at all. It's kind of more like a, a barren wilderness than an actual desert. So they're out in the desert, and they end up being there for 40 years. So connected to the Passover, the freedom of the people of God, is this kind of 40-year story, right? The Passover launches them into this 40-year story when they're wandering around, and they don't have enough food. They don't have enough food, right? They're out in the wilderness, a barren place, and they don't have enough food. And so what does God do? God feeds them. God provides food for them. It's called manna. It kind of appears in the wilderness and the people go out and they gather up all the food and they eat it until they're satisfied, right? They're never hungry as long as they keep eating all that manna. This, and it means, what is it? Manna, if you translate it from Hebrew, what is it? So they didn't know really what they were eating, uh, but it was, you know, satisfying them and they were full and they were not hungry anymore. And they had to do this every single day except for Saturday when they were supposed to rest. So manna, God provided this manna every day. And so if you think about it, John is basically saying the people are kind of out in the wilderness, they're hungry, and God's going to provide food for them, and Jesus does it. So again, there's this kind of layer of meaning that's there that Jesus wants to point out something that God is still active in their lives and he's ready to continue to feed them, to nourish them, to keep them alive. So what does Jesus do? He asks for them to bring some food. And they do. They find a little boy. He's the only guy who packed a lunch, apparently, or at least the only person willing to share that food. And it's five loaves of barley, and it's a fish or two. And I want to tell you that in the Greek language, if you read this, it doesn't say that he has really good fish and really good bread, okay? This was not like King's Hawaiian bread and really good fish. Um, it, it says basically in Greek, cheap bread and old fish. Okay, not great. Uh, you know, cheap bread, barley loaves. Barley loaves were what the poor ate. Most people would have eaten wheat bread. They would have gathered wheat in, they would have cooked with that, but barley was sort of what the poor folks ate. And the fish was not fresh fish. It wasn't caught 
in the Sea of Galilee recently. It may have been preserved fish. It may have been cooked fish that was a couple of days old. It was not the best. And so God, through Jesus, takes this sort of meager offering and multiplies it to the point at which everybody is fed. Now, there are some people who say that what really happened that day was not that Jesus multiplied the bread, but it was that this boy's generosity inspired other people to be generous, and all these people who had food, you know, ended up sort of sharing it, and that was kind of the way that it all worked out. But, you know, I think that John is trying to demonstrate something more than just how generosity can be amplified, even though that is true. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. I do think what this is about is demonstrating that God is going to continue to feed people and to take care of people through Jesus. So what does he do? After he gets the bread and, uh, and, and the, the fish, what does he do? He prays over it. He prays over it. And then he distributes it to everybody. And so it doesn't say that he gives the disciples the bread and they distribute it. John really makes it clear that it's Jesus who goes around and does this. Can you imagine Jesus going out and giving food to all 5,000 people? I don't know why it says this, but that's, that's what it says, that he gives it to everybody. Again, kind of maybe focusing on why Jesus is the kind of person that's a new Moses or something even better than Moses who fed the people, because it was God who did it, not Moses. So we have this situation where he breaks the bread and he thanks it. Does that sound familiar? We're about to do that a little bit later in the service with communion. In communion, we often pray God's blessings over the grape juice and the bread, and we also remember what God has done for us. We remember all the good things that God has done. And so Jesus kind of models this there where he talks about the Passover, and then he also prays over it and thanks God for it before giving it out. If you were to uh, read the Latin instructions for communion, uh, you would hear something about um, epiclesis, which is sort of like an invocation, praying God's blessings upon something. Uh, we might say, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine, like we do in communion. That's the invocation, but there is also something called anamnesis, which is the remembering. And so we think Jesus did something like that, where he remembered God's good works, and then he sort of did some kind of invocation where he prayed over them, and then they gave the food out to everyone. So this is kind of like a communion miracle, too, that God is going to feed us and continue to nourish us along the way. But then we get to the giving out, the giving out. Everybody got their fill. Everybody was filled. That is just like what happened with the manna in the wilderness. Everybody was full. Nobody was hungry every single day as long as they ate all that manna. And they continued to give out and give out and give out the bread and the fish until it is all gone. So if you think about this worship service or communion, there's a gathering together. There is a remembering of God's good works. There is an invocation of a blessing over this. And then there's the sharing, the giving that is in this miracle. And it's something that reminds us that God is good and that God wants to take care of us. Right? God is good. God wants to take care of us, and God wants us to take care of others. Some people theorize that one of the reasons that God gave the Israelites manna every day for that 40-year journey through the wilderness was to kind of coach them to the point at which when they got into the promised land and they saw a hungry person, what would they do? Make sure that they had something to eat because 
God fed them, right? It's almost training to say, if God takes care of us like this, we're going to do that for other people. Now, the miracle is that all the people were fed, all the bread was used up, and the fish was used up, but then Jesus sent out the disciples to gather up all the extra bread so that nothing is wasted. And this is kind of weird because Jesus never says what to do with that bread, right? He doesn't say save it so that we can feed people tomorrow. He just says bring it back together, and there are 12 baskets left over. There's more than enough for people. It doesn't say anything about any fish being gathered up. And that's probably because nobody likes reheated fish. That's probably why, okay? Not really. But there are 12 baskets left over, which again is that performance art probably where this has a meaning. There were 12 tribes of Israel. There were 12 disciples. So if you think about it, all the people of Israel, all the people that would come forward from the church through the disciples, there's enough food for all of them. There's enough for them too. So all of this is really kind of important and important for us to understand that there is an idea that God wants to continue to give good things and to keep people full, no matter who they are or where they are. They have to go out and collect all this extra. There's no plan for the leftovers It seems that the leftovers were more about sending a message. So this sign kind of points to Jesus being like God, right? That he's not just a miracle worker who multiplies food. He's not just somebody who turns water into wine. He's somebody that can be like God to take care of us and to nourish us and to feed us. But he wants us to be like him. So I think that goes to something that we need to consider this morning. And that is this, what are the needs around us? On that day, on that hillside by the Sea of Galilee, they were hungry people. That was the big need, right? They didn't have to go home to get their food. The need was right there. What are the needs around us? What are the needs in your house? What are the needs in your community, your neighborhood? What are the needs in your world? And we might sort of look out and see all the bad needs out there. I remember after Hurricane Katrina uh, down in New Orleans, I went down there with some youth the year afterwards, and there was nothing but just destruction. It was terrible. And I just thought, how in the world is anybody going to ever recover from this? But there were groups, whether it be churches or nonprofit organizations that went down, and slowly but surely they started working to rebuild houses. They would gut houses down to the beams, the studs, and they would they would paint over that. They would build on top of that, and they would move people in. I, I participated in something called the St. Bernard Project, which is a, a nonprofit, non-religious group, but we went as churches to help them, and that's what they did. They, told, they took these sort of old uh, mildewy houses that had been sitting there for years, and they got them back down to the studs, and got them back to where somebody could live there and sold them for just a tiny bit of money. And it was just one of the most wonderful things to be there a day when a family got to move into a house instead of living in a FEMA trailer or living on the street. When you look at the kind of devastation like that and you think, how in the world can we fix all this? Somebody just needs to come in with a bulldozer and we'll just start over, right? It almost seems like it's too difficult to do sometimes. But that's kind of what Jesus demonstrates to us is that 
there are moments where it can be so daunting to feed 5,000 people with just a little bit of bread and some fish. And maybe the point is not to sort of get stalled in the impossibility of it, but to actually do something, do something. So not only do we need to look around in our homes, our neighborhoods, our world and say, what are the needs? But we also need to think about what do we have, right? What are the needs? What do we have? Sometimes we think, how will this ever be enough for this, right? But often, something can be done with just a little bit. Uh, Do you know that the world record for paying it forward at a Starbucks drive-thru is 23 cars? That's what happened one day when somebody drove up to Starbucks, they got their order, and they paid for the person behind them. And it kept going and kept going and kept going for 23 cars until... The 24th car said, oh, thanks, and drove away, (laughs) right? And I'm not, if you're that person, please don't, I'm not judging you, okay? But think about that. It kept going and it kept going and it kept going. One person's $5 drink order became 23 drink orders in a row that were paid for by other people. One little thing can lead to something big. I want to leave you with this, this story that you probably heard before, but I had a friend uh, named Mr. Mack at a previous church who used to tell this story all the time to young people because he wanted them to believe that their sometimes small gift, their small impact can be multiplied beyond their wildest dreams. See, he told a story about how there was one day at the ocean that all these starfish were washed up on the beach. All these starfish. I mean, it was just starfish as far as you could see. And two people were walking along and they saw these starfish everywhere. And one of the people, one of the friends walking by would pick up a starfish and throw it in the ocean. Pick up another starfish, throw it in the ocean. And after he did it about five times, his walking partner said, what are you doing? There's no way you can throw all these starfish back in the ocean. And the man or the person picked up another starfish and threw it in the ocean again and said, I made a difference for that one. So when we look at what we have and we look at the need, sometimes the need dwarfs, dwarfs the the things that we have. But that shouldn't stop us from taking the things that we have and using them to make an impact in others. Because even the smallest impact can either at least make that impact itself or it could lead to more and more and more. Just like when you throw a rock in a lake, and those ripples go out almost continuously. Sometimes they even come back. That's the kind of impact that five loaves and a couple of fish had so many years ago. And it's the same kind of impact that we can have if we just do what Jesus did and to believe that at least something can be done. Hey friends, I just wanted to take a moment and say thank you for tuning in to our message this week in The Gathering. I hope you found it meaningful and life-giving. Of course, you're welcome to join us any week at 10 a.m. on Sundays, either here in this space or on our live stream for worship. And of course, you can check us out on our website at www.bluffparkumc.org to find out more about who we are as a church, what we have going on, and how you can be a part of that. Feel free to reach out and contact us with any questions or concerns you may have. We'd love to hear from you. We hope you have a great week, and we'll see you next time.